This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Just like that, the final hour is here, Wednesday edition. Outkick 360, 6th and Peabody, our location. Coming up in 20 minutes, we'll have the founder and CEO of On3, Shannon Terry, will be in with us along with Grant Ferking. A lot to discuss in name, image, likeness. Shannon uh, sent uh, word what, I'm gonna, a week and a half, two weeks ago. He believes federal legislation is going to happen with the overall governing bodies uh, across college sports referring to what happens on the Hill to determine, quote-unquote, guidelines instead of the NCAA. Looking forward to the discussion in And wouldn't minutes. the NCAA and every college program out there love that? Yes. If there were federal regulations on this where yes. everyone knew the rule book. Yep. And, you know, federally, we chatted last year about this. Some are pointing to, you know, state to state, which is what we're having. And that includes the conversation we'll have in a minute on Texas A&M and what they're pointing to, which is state law. Uh, Shannon and Grant coming up. Um, Aaron Rodgers earlier today said, hey, I'm a, I'm a longtime Green Bay Packer, longest tenured Packer. I want to be playing for the New York Jets. Let's hurry this along. Uh, for those who missed it, he pointed to uh, the compensation being the big holdup. He said he's made both. Both teams were aware of this late last week, going back to Trey Wingo's report earlier this week. Chad, going into the NCAA tournament, and we saw this, that the, the national media is about to, maybe not for the first time, because I think there have been some national writers that were covering Alabama. But for the first time, Bama's going to be inundated with the Brandon Miller storyline, right? There's a lot of columns about the despicable nature of all of this with yeah. you know the conflicted b- thoughts while you watch Alabama cruise through this bracket. Well, I mean, he's, he's at the scene setter. The story you can read at, at Outkick, Miller I'm referring to, he's at the scene setter in Birmingham. And at the presser, it's very noticeable, a personal security guard for him. And that was a big topic uh, earlier today. I mean, the guy is certainly in, in the right line of work. Uh, could also go to the WWE, right? maybe a, a heavyweight for the UFC. But they have added this um, security for Miller. And that's on top of, keep in mind what we were referring to earlier this week, um, a PR specialist and an attorney that's with the team as well on behalf of the university. This is only getting started because I don't think Bama's losing anytime soon. Chad and I both have them winning the tournament. And... At some point, doesn't this become a distraction? Well, I mean, it's, it, if it's not been a distraction, I, I'll keep going back to this. The, the, they don't care. I mean, this is not affecting them on the court. Like a lot, I, I shouldn't say. It. I think deep down, it, it it affects Nate Oates, but I don't think it's affected Brandon Miller's play yet. I don't think it's affected this Bama team from what I've seen. There's no tangible signs of this impacting their play in any negative way. They've been great. They've been the best team in the country. Uh, before the murder happened, they've been the best team in the country after the murder happened. I don't see any big line of demarcation in Bama's play, given all the controversy and everything that's gone on. So 
Look, I picked Bama right here in my bracket to win it all for that very reason. I don't think this is going to be any different. I, I want to point out, though, Nate Oates' quote here uh, when talking about it. He said, some, some people that can sit behind fake email addresses, who knows if they're real or not, I've seen some of the things that he's been getting. I wouldn't want that, and no one would want that for their son. I treat my players like my sons. I don't have a son. I have three daughters, you know. I put myself in his parents' shoes. Did you put yourself in the shoes of the woman who died? Uh, of the parents no, of them, if you have three daughters? Because it's her dad that says it's disgusting to think he didn't at least serve a suspension right? in all this, that he wasn't affected at all. Yeah, no accountability. There's one person that died in this whole story, right, tragically. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I, I just I find that we I, – I believe him. We had Dane Bradshaw in studio when he says, I treat my guys like sons, but I'm thinking – then after that, you say, but I have three daughters. So that didn't affect you enough to say, hey, maybe five to ten game suspension and then play on. I, I just don't think that it's the same level of, certainly on my end or any, uh, you know, most well, media that I know, the coverage is different if he served any suspension at all uh, as opposed to nothing. And I think Greg Byrne even said when we were surprised about the new information yeah. about the text message he received. That well, they, was new information. I'm thinking, and well, they didn't act on it. there's your out. You know, someone we had on recently said, well, the argument is that's like suspending your kid two months after they did something. And I'm thinking, people get punished all the time when the public knows about it. Before, you know, after the fact, because the public knows about it and because of, I, I just, it's just been handled also, very poorly by Alabama. But again, I've got Alabama winning it all. Why? Yeah. Because they're the best basketball team in America, well, and I don't think I don't think this affects them. The next storyline, I think, will be on how Bama will try to tell people this guy's off limits. Stop asking him questions because they were doing that at the SEC tournament with the security. Um, uh, Outkick was there and approached the officer in the Alabama locker room when it was noticed, and he was asked if he's Tus- Tuscaloosa police or if he was private security, and a member of the athletic department hopped in and said you're not to be interviewing him. And if they're going to continue to do that, this will continue to be a storyline. To be fair, that's one thing Alabama actually can do is say, you're not going to interview our security person. I know, but they're they're not available for... I I get, I'm guessing it's Glenn Gilbo that's there. That's smart of him to go up and ask. I would have asked the question too. He's being a good reporter, but this is one time where I will say Alabama's SID guy or girl is absolutely within their rights to say... Don't interview our support personnel. They're not available for interview during this tournament. Now, what they're going to try to do also that we've seen in the past, it happened after multiple games, they're not going to be answering questions about anything other than the game. Well, that's going to be the continues to answer questions. Yeah. Um, Miller. I'm saying the players. Yeah. Miller made the one statement at the SEC tournament and said, I'm not going to speak anymore on it. Right. But that doesn't mean they won't be inundated with questions. Right. And that's going to follow them. Uh, throughout the tournament. And again, we think they're going all the way to Houston in, in all this. Chad, um, interesting. I, I, don't, I don't think it's going to reach the point, though, of that live tour press conference. If you remember how awkward it was when Lee oh, Westwood yeah. and everyone, yeah. every question, Ian Poulter, were, they were asked the same question about the Saudi money, and it was just eventually them kind of smiling uncomfortably and not answering any questions and just silence with question after question. I don't think we're going to reach that point with this, though, because enough people will ask non, 
controversy-related questions about the team where they'll keep answering. Yeah, I mean, at some point, Miller will be asked about his game-winning shot, you know, yeah, they're, they're which gonna, will happen, too. Yeah, they're going to ask basketball questions, too. I don't think it'll get to that point. Chris Beard answered the questions uh, with Ole Miss in the press conference that introduced him uh, down in, in Oxford, and he thanked his fiance for setting the truth on the domestic incident that got him fired uh, at the University of Texas. And he was emotional. He uh, went through the details of what the last couple months have been like. He referenced Ole Miss for the search that they did and how he was honest and open with the questions that they asked. And he faced several questions about, you know, how this looks and if he's how he's going to go into uh, recruitment and discuss this and how he's going to be able to answer it versus point to ongoing litigation or anything else that might be going on. Um, Chad, here's the deal. Dude was hired two months after he was fired with cause. Uh, this is not going to be an issue when it goes into recruiting. This is not going to be an issue maybe beyond today with the presser for Ole Miss and the, the reaction to it. No, and he also was very careful not to really apologize for no. any action of his own. No, he thanked his fiance. He did apologize for, um, you know, the, I know this negatively impacted a lot of people around me, and I'm sorry for that. Right. You know, the, the whole situation in Texas and what went down. He also said that they're not speaking on the, those days around that. They're not speaking on that night. They're not going to get into details. They've made an agreement. They're not going to talk about anything with that. Because I want to say he was asked a question, something like, well, did you choke her? Because, yeah, because of the that marks. Was, that was when the last time that we have heard, you know, the yeah, comments he, he made said, on he, that he night said, and around not, that day. We're not going to talk about it. I'm thinking, well, that's probably the stance I would take, too. <laughs> I mean, if she's not going to talk about it anymore either, and you're not, yeah, I think that's probably the right way to go. Yeah, and he says, uh, I understand some of the questions coming. I'm very comfortable and confident in the truth uh, in his introduction there. Uh from Chris Beard to Will Wade. Immediate um, hired at McNeese State, and then he's suspended five games. I love this. <laughs> I, I love this story so much. Will Wade, uh, who, you know, basically is a bagman. Like, I feel like, yeah. you know, that you have the stories of yeah. the bagmen. Like, Will Wade's an actual bagman that became a head coach, <laughs> right? He was a manager at FRA here in Nashville, and he worked his way up, basically being a bagman, to become a head coach and a successful one. Had a good, I think, he had a good tenure at UT Chattanooga. He won. He had a good one year at VCU. He was in the NCAA tournament three or five years at LSU. He made a strong-ass offer, and he got caught on a wiretap making that strong-ass offer. Yep. And he's out at LSU, and he gets hired by McNeese State. And their first, the day after the press conference announced him is, he will serve a five-game suspension to start his tenure here at McNeese State. I, I love in every... In compliance with NCAA I rules. I love every part of this story and I just laugh because I'm thinking, well, you know, we've been asking for I, years, Hutton, when is McNeese going to get serious about basketball? Hey, and now we have our answer. I love McNeese too. is all in on winning and winning big. I love, too, that the uh, that Will Wade has to submit a weekly report on recruiting activities, which will include phone calls, text, etc. Yeah, okay. Look forward to McNeese State making that. Here are the that. transcripts of all of my phone yeah. conversations with all of the McNeese State recruits. Yeah. I mean, the NCAA couldn't keep him from coaching when this was all going down. LSU gave him the middle finger when they were winning. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that McNeese State is going to somehow get a weekly report from Will Wade. The bag man for Will Wade will be writing up the weekly re report 
and state it and probably copy and paste it from week one. This is going to be a is, – uh, is the Southwest Conference, I want to say, many states Southland? maybe? Southland? Yeah, I think so. This will be a super team that he, will, he will assemble in that conference. That Over mark, under one mark season for Will Wade there. Oh, he'll be there multiple seasons, I think. I, I don't think Will Wade <laughs> – What's crazy is Chris Beard, with what he was accused of, gets a job immediately in a Power 5 school. Uh, but I still think with Will Wade, there's enough stink on him with all of this that it's going to take a couple of years. But I, I bet he goes to two or three NCAA tournaments with McNeese in his time there before he gets back to a, a better job. He can't have, he's not permitted to have any off-campus recruiting-related activities from the date of the hire until July 31st this year. He shall reduce official visits by four visits during the academic year. And he's banned from all recruiting conversations between September and October. I mean, you must really want to coach, right? If you're, I mean, or you just really don't care. <laughs> if you're Will Wade, you're like, I'll sign whatever. You know, I'm going to do the same rush, man. I'm going to do whatever I want. Like I know the <laughs> compliance department of any state and it's not overly staffed. So I'm going to continue doing exactly what the hell I want at McNeese state. It's one of the two. You're either that hard up to coach. Yeah that you're going to actually do all these things, or you're Will Wade and you're saying, yeah, I'll sign whatever contract you put in front of me, and I'm going to go get every player I want, <laughs> however I want them in East State, and you're going to love it because we're going to win. They will do that. Yeah. And if you want to win, you'll hire Will Wade at some level. Uh, hit us up with your thoughts. Outkick 360. Shaka Smart's winning again. Marquette. Chad, you have Marquette in the Final Four? I've got him in the Final Four, losing to Bama in the Final Four. Um. What do you think allowed him to turn things quickly at Marquette that he wasn't getting done at Texas? You know, he gave a really long answer and a good one about the difference of being at a basketball first school yeah. versus Texas. He, he did a good job, too. If he's, He said, I, I'm never going to speak ill of anyone at Texas because it doesn't want to make it about that. And he referenced the fact that he was on Billy Donovan's staff at Florida, and Billy Donovan won two national championships at a quote-unquote football school. So he says it can be done. We've seen it happen before. And he's got a ton of respect for Billy Donovan and anyone that can make it work. It just wasn't going to work to that level for him at Texas, even though he was bringing in five-star prospects. I think the difference is there are just some guys that are such energy bombs at all time. And I think Shaka Smart is one of those. They also feed off the energy of their institution. Everything I've read about the president at Marquette, his athletic director, they're on the floor slapping the, the hardwood oh, at the yeah. Big East uh, tournament well, with him. They are all so aligned behind men's basketball as their money sport, and he is the top dog on that campus. And they care about it. And he has the resources, and they've got a solid fan base for, for that level and that size school. I just think it's all those factors that I, I don't think he was feeling the vibe as much at Texas. Well, being such a football first school. John Fanta uh, covers the the Big East and was at the tournament and was at the presser and he's a part of the field of 68. Here is John with uh, Chris Mack who also weighs in on the perception of what we've seen from Shaka Smart at Texas to now what he's accomplishing at Marquette. After winning the Big East tournament Saturday night, Shaka Smart was asked about his president, Mike Lovell, who actually has battled through cancer, and cut down the nets at the Garden Saturday night. He was the guy who had the last cut of the scissors, waved the net around the crowd. You know, sarcoma survivor, really a powerful story, powerful image. And after the game in the press conference, Smart gets asked about the administration of Marquette, and he goes, you know why I fit here? 
I fit here because the people who run this place aren't cyborgs. You know, they're, they don't, they're not robots who just, who, they're actual humans. Like Mac, how big is that for a coach? You know, the, the difference between having an AD or a, or a suit that's just simply a suit versus actually having someone who is a, a human. A lot of those guys are human regardless. John, I think the biggest problem becomes when there's not alignment, you know, when people have ulterior motives, you know, within within the university, you know, when you don't have the, the same alignment with president, with associate ADs, with your AD, and there's different messaging and, you know, there's different agendas. And obviously Shaka doesn't have that. You know, he's very, very fortunate. And, you know, you would think that that's how it would be everywhere, but it's not. And, um, you know, the ones that have it, you can tell, and that's why they're very comfortable in their own skin. They run their program extremely well. And, uh, you know, look at Shaka now. Look at him a few years ago, and that's not a dig on Texas, but it's just one of those things where he feels a lot more comfortable where he's at now. Chad, that tournament was competitive. It was awesome. Uh, the, it always is. The top of that tournament at Madison Square Garden is legit, and Marquette comes out on top. I, yeah. li- I like the fact you have them go. I've got them in the Elite Eight. Yeah. Um, but in this year, there's no reason why Marquette can't win a national championship. This year, in this college basketball landscape. With as crazy it's, as all the upsets we've seen this year. It's going to be, well, it, it's one of those where every year it's, it's like nothing will surprise you. But Not anymore. It does feel like this isn't going to be a, a blue blood type year in the yeah. Final Four. And it's going to be a quite possibly a first time national champion. Not that Marquette would be that. They've won a national title. But... Um, yeah, it's going to be fun. And I love that Big East tournament at Madison Square Garden. Coming up, Shannon Terry, Grant Ferking on three is in the house. A lot to discuss, including federal legislation for name, image, likeness. Is that coming? And Texas A&M and what they're doing to defy NCAA, not, lo- not rules, uh, guidelines. That's next on Outkick 360. Suggestions. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. From 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine, Hutton Withrow with you. Outkick 360 across the Outkick Network. Chad in studio with us from On3. Shannon Terry, founder and CEO of On3. And uh, Grant Furkin, good friend of the show, VFL. And the, let me get this right, the Athlete Network Development Director. I would refer to both of these guys as, if you need something done, you give one of these two guys a They're, they're like the sports business gurus of Pretty college much. sports. That would, I, I think both of them. And One's done it a little bit longer, you right. know, all due respect to Shannon. Right. I don't want right. to put Grant on that pedestal just <laughs> quite yet. we got to knock him down a couple pegs, but... Both it's guys do, are, Both guys do a good job in, this, in the business of college sports. Guys, welcome. Good to see you. Always great to be here. Brent, Always. how are you, man? Phenomenal, man. How are you like? Good to Nashville? be in Nashville. Yeah, that was good to say. Welcome to Nashville. I was going to say, I've welcomed you guys to Knoxville many times. It's hey, good we to are, we'll, be here with you. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, 
give us the the landscape over the last month or so, Shannon, since you were last in. We've seen Miami agree to you know some self-imposed whatever from the NCAA. It wasn't much. It was a slap on the wrist. But they're not going after the booster. They're not going after the player. They can't do that, right? So they're going after the university. Texas A&M, meanwhile, they're going at NIL a different direction than what maybe we're seeing. And what can they actually do about it if A&M is pointing to state law? Yeah, let, let's hit A&M first. I, I spent um, what a few weeks ago, uh, flew down, spent the day, um, met with a lot of people at the school. Um, and it's really interesting. I think, what, the 12th man was set up in, I think, the 80s. 12th man fund, right? Uh, 12th man funds in the 80s. And it's a really unique uh, model. And, and there's a lot of reasons I actually like it. And I think it's actually perfectly suited um, for NIL. I think they're, you know, they're, they are in a lot of ways a collective, to borrow the term, that is efficiently run, set up the right way, and has been doing business for, you know, a couple decades or many decades. So it gives them an, an, an advantage, and I think they're, they're ahead of the game. I really don't think the NCAA has any claim against them. Uh, their, their governance, their structured, uh, the way they're set up, um, I think it's by the letter of the law, and I think they know it, and I don't think there's any chance that they're going to back down. And, and, and by the way, their phone, no joke, it's, it's blowing up because a lot of other schools slash collectives are really looking into to how, how they're set up. And so, Chad, what, what, let me clarify that, because what they're doing, they're tying in tickets without tying in tickets for the donation, right? You, they're doing that purchase separately. So they're saying they're abiding by the laws and guidelines that are set forward through name, image, likeness. I think that's Am I getting only, that right? I think that's the only curveball in their whole setup is that you get ticket points. Right. You know, so the ticket points go through that where it doesn't happen with the other collectives. You know, but, but the athletic department has to petition – you know, the Board of Governors for all funds. It's not at the athletic director's uh, discretion. Um, you know, and then what I like about it from the, from the sake of the whole business enterprise is that the 12th Man Fund solves for probably one of the greatest problems in the donor world of collectives right now, which is the tax problem. Mm. You know, because so when you go give donation uh, to the 12th Fund, you're getting your proper tax, donate, uh, t- uh, tax deduction in addition to that, you're getting those those booster points, which are which are really important. Which so, in other schools, when you're giving to the collective, you're not getting that tax benefit. It's which is very unique. It's a subscription. Basically. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and Grant, you you've done uh, a lot of traveling to different schools and, and and educating people there, athletes there, coaches, talking with people. Where is Texas A and M in terms of? where they are with NIL as opposed to a lot of other places around the country. Obviously, you know the setup at Tennessee really well. Where does A&M rank? Yeah, they're right at the top. And I think you've, if you look at schools across the country, you've seen athletic departments take you know, vastly different approaches to their message to the athletes on NIL, their message to the, the fan base on NIL, their relationship with the collective. Um, A&M's right there with you know, being, being an aggressor on that side, right? I mean, they've, they've pushed the limits. They're out there in all the headlines and people are going to follow them. You've seen schools that are on the much more conservative side that are very distant in that relationship between collective and development fund and athletic department and collective. And, um, you know, it's, it's one of those things that is used as a recruiting tool now. When an athlete comes in and sees that an athletic department, their coaches, their AD are all in on NIL, 
they know that there's likely going to be greater opportunities presented there. Shannon Terry, Grant Furkin in studio with us from On3 Sports. Um, Shannon, so what's the NCAA doing? Yeah, so I mean, that, what are they, that's what are they the, trying that's the story. to do now? That's the story right now. You know, the last whatever, you know, since Baker has come aboard, yeah. uh, it's very obvious that NIL is, is, is the linchpin of his platform, and, and it's happening, and there's a hard, hard push for federal legislation. And You tweeted this earlier. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really simple to see what's happening. And, and you know, it, it's not about being on a side. It's about, first of all, is federal legislation necessary, or should the NCAA, the conferences, and the member schools actually just freaking do their job? Okay, the answer is they should just do their job. But let's just say, what, what does federal legislation mean? Well, the, the irony of the platform is around consumer protection, mm-hmm. protecting the athlete. Well, the athlete honestly doesn't need to be protected. Um, the, the athlete, the coaches, and everyone just needs to know what, what to do. So I'm, I, I, I am a proponent to the nth degree of athlete first for all the reasons. You know, nine percent of all expenses goes into scholarships, aid, and grant. That is an incredibly low percentage of your expenses go into talents. Ridiculous. It's it is now a time for the athlete to benefit from all of this rights money that has come into the sport, and federal legislation will absolutely penalize the athlete in NIL. It is empirically, factually correct, and they're trying to stop it. And I feel like, Shannon, everyone wants just someone to tell them the rules, like you're saying. And now you have these sort of solo warriors that are challenging the NCAA to get a ruling on something and kind of doing the Lord's work of what needs to be done to clarify things. John Ruiz is going after the NCAA on the term booster and how he's called a booster, right? So there's, there's something coming there. You've got A&M challenging on working with a a, a part of the school that can give away tickets on what they're doing that we've discussed. Do you see it that way where it's going to take kind of this death by a thousand cuts of different schools taking on a war of their own to try to come up with overall legislation or rules on this? Well, I don't think there's going to be that many wars because I don't think the NCAA is going to enforce that much. And so, you know, the way things are set up now, it's, it, who knows what they can and can't enforce. So I don't think, I don't think that's the case. I think the first order of business um, is is to protect the money, and and you know that's obviously what's happening right now. And I think, you know, the words not being said, but I think collectives are, you know, if I'm running a collective right now, you know, I'm worried um, about this this whole setup. And if I'm an athlete, and I'm telling you, the whole all the nil number stuff is is kind of a a, a big BS. The real money is happening in the world of the collectives and it's happening with the elites that are doing big brand deals. And then there's a whole lot of nickels scattered. And in by my estimation, we are at least two, three, four, five years away before the big group licensing deals come in from the brands that kind of get dispersed. So you take that collective money away, you are essentially cutting the whole world of NIL value that's going to be dispersed straight to the athlete down significantly. Grant, do you think we'll have a player union? I think it might be coming at some point, like Shannon said. I mean, those things are years down the road. It's hard to, you know, put a finger on it. But, um, you know, I think if you, as you've seen the NIL ecosystem evolve in the last 18, 19 months, um, I think it's closer to getting to that than it was 
at its onset in July of 21. And Shannon, I, we talked about this, but I, I think it's because the players are going to realize their piece versus the university's piece versus whatever. And that's when the money actually becomes an issue for what they could get paid versus what they are getting paid. A hundred percent. That's when you, when you start taking that away. Um, and if it does get taken away and I, I don't think there, the, the, the reality is this, and I want to go on, I want to, I want to make a statement that I've made many times. The majority of athletes get more through their education, their aid, their benefits, their perks than they would ever be worth from an NIL perspective. So if you take a roster, you know, just rounding 60% of those kids never need to even think about the word NIL other than just some side hustles with local sponsors, whatever. Okay. So they're, they're more than taken care of, but the but the reality is the, the elites that are driving the game, the ones that we're watching to see that money's in jeopardy because only a few of those, only a very, very small few are the Arch Mannings, the Caleb's, the Livy Dunn's, the, you know, that actually appeal to a national brand that have some type of activation in ROI. And so I think, you know, in a perfect world from the NCAA's perspective or the school's perspective, they're good with that pocket, you know, getting those big brand deals. That's not, no, so that's just probably more opportunity for them. It's this, it's this whole middle tier that really starts, I think, disrupting the financial models. So going athlete first and thinking that way right now, let's say they, that athletes do unionize. Is that what's best for the athlete is to be considered an employee of the university or is something different or what's going on now, but more ability to make money on the side, what's best? I'll touch on that. Being an employee would be a train wreck. Okay, first of all, you've got the whole issue around, you know, I'm getting a $60,000 scholarship plus meal, plus shoes, plus all these things from Vanderbilt. How am I going to pay for that? How am I going to pay for the tax on that? So being an employee without some kind of federal, you know, tax exempt states, now that, that becomes, you know, that becomes income. That's one. The, the other impact is if, if, if employment happens, uh, Title IX and, and you're going to see club sports are going to be the new norm. And so it's going to eliminate so many sports and so many opportunities. It, it could really be the death of women's sports to a degree. So I don't, I don't think that is the issue, that that is the, the route at all. Grant, are players happy when you chat with them about how the model is set up now and, and the, the start to what is the new college model in yeah. athletics? You know, I think it's um, – I think the neat thing about what NIL has done, and I think I was vocal about this from the onset, is that the marketplace would always work itself out. You know, I don't, I don't think you ever had a bunch of guys in there that were being over um, – over realistic of what they thought they were actually going to make, right? When you go into the locker room and everyone wants to say headlines of, you know, NIL's destroying locker rooms and, you know, that whole argument. You know, being in a locker room, I have never seen, you know, a, a fight break out because of an <laughs> NIL deal, right? Yeah. I mean, guys know who's producing and they're getting taken care of, you know, proportionally for that. And, you know, and honestly, if, if there is a deal that, you know, there's no value being, you know, taken out of it. I mean, those guys likely aren't there the next year. And, you know, I, I just think that kids are, are being given opportunities through NIL. And, you know, we're in a whole lot better spot right now than we were just because of the way it's worked itself out to this point. And I don't think anything could be, you know, 100% positive all the time. Yeah. 
So, Grant, the Jaden Rashada situation being one, if there is an issue out there you've seen from the student-athlete perspective, and you talk to so many of them, is it a certain school over-promised something or I thought I was getting into one thing with a sponsor or a collective and it turned out to be another what, what are some of those issues that you've seen or encountered? Well, look, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big advocate of staying about all the NIL discussions, negotiations, agreements before you step foot on campus. There are so many variables out there and unknowns of a 16, 17, 18-year-old kid as they're going through this recruitment. Then you throw the parents in the mix. You throw the seven-on-seven seven coach in the mix. I mean, all these things are up in the air and just throw it into a, a crazy scenario like we just saw with Rashada. Um, you know, I, I would much rather see a kid get on campus, show his value, produce, you know, prove to everyone that he's a, a five-star kid that can go to class on time, that, you know, is, is well-received in the locker room, you know, is as good as he's made out to be, and then go and make some money. When, when you have a guy who, you know, has all these headlines about him that walks into the locker room and then, you know, like in the Rashada, you know, case blows up in front of him and he ends up not even going to that school and then basically is, you know, back, you know, from the start, you know, that's just, that's not a great look for the kid. And look, in his situation, if, if that deal wasn't out there and all those headlines, he could have gone to any other school and got a lot better deal and scenario than what he's getting right now. After year one. Absolutely. But can I say, we also live in a practical world. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's when I'm going to drive, I'm going to leave him and go home and I'm going to see a speed, speed limit sign. And I'm going to make a choice not to drive 65 or 70, you know, because the practical, I'm going to try to get away from or or away from traffic. The reality is fixing this, I don't think is that difficult to, to be honest with you. I don't, I don't think, and, and while I, I do believe you can set it up easily where athletes aren't compensated to their enrolled on campus, which I think is critical. I don't think you can eliminate what I'm going to be worth when I get there. That's invariably going to be discussed, talked about, and there's going to be chicanery involved. I think the simple solution is really not that difficult. And I'm going to just use football. Okay, for example, first of all, all states you know, have to operate the same way. All conferences have to operate the same way. I think that that the the power five schools need to set up some some baseline salary cap number that they can't go over that will be deployed for football. Okay, and it would be Vanderbilt's choice whether they wanted to to compete at the max as they as you know Texas would and Alabama would. What does that number look like? I don't think it's hard to come up with what that number is. You know, it's somewhere around overall, you know, conference or, or, or you know, sport revenue. You know, if a, if a head coach is making $10 million a year, it's not unreasonable to say that football collective has seven and a half or 10 to deploy. That's number one. You come up with that number, it's up to the school. Listen, some, some teams in the NFL don't participate at the same as others as it relates to spending. It doesn't have to be that way in college either. Let the school then deploy that money any way they deem fit. Okay, but the difference would be um, Clemson's not getting the same payment per year that Tennessee's getting just based on conference affiliation. So that they so could donor pay- money is fine. Okay, yeah, and so keep keep the number reasonable. You know, keep it where it's keep it where it's reasonable. Is it difficult to assume that the SEC and Big Ten want to keep it reasonable for the other three? Probably not, but I think that's a workaround. 
And you know, and I think yeah. I think the key, and then I think the next key, which is the most important one, is is you've got to set up a um, you know a, a, a TPA, you know, some form of a third party administrator that would manage the the and calculate the disbursements of funds, you know, and are they up and up? And if if a school participates outside that TPA, you know, you're yanked. You're you're in big trouble. And if an athlete takes money that's not disclosed in that they're ineligible, hire a third-party enforcement group, you know, to manage and audit this whole process, take the power, you know, out of the NCAA's hands and go from there. I don't think, I don't think the money has to be so egregious that it rules out, you know, it rules out the conferences that don't make as much as the SEC. As long as the number is obtainable for anyone outside of the Big Ten or SEC, right? Like they correct. Yeah, but it, you, you mentioned the, the NFL. Ma- the max number. Yes. Yeah, it, the owners can participate or not in the NFL, but they're getting the same television rights money across as the board. Kansas City or how far Buffalo. off are the Big Ten and the SEC rights numbers though? Uh, pretty substantial right now. Well, they won't be long. Okay. Well, maybe it's just a power three then. I think is that it what is. we're headed to? Yeah, I think it is. Instead of the Power Five, because the Pac-12, it, it may be a while. I mean, there's already, <laughs> yeah. well, or there's obviously discussions about, you know, those schools. So yeah, that, that deal with Ion TV yeah, is not going to be as profitable yeah, gonna, as what right. uh, Big Ten and SEC that'll has. That'll meet expectations. So NCAA tournament, very profitable. And I watch an event <laughs> like this and think about basketball, and I think this is what NIL's created for. Uh, you've got someone not hiding behind a helmet. Their face is there. It's March Madness. I think of Harold Arsenault. I think of names of the past that guys just emerge in this tournament and could profit from this. What do you guys think? Grant, I'll start with you on it in terms of college basketball impact with NIL guys and the money they could make. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, basketball is one of those sports to where obviously your roster is a lot smaller, so your ability to go out and monetize on your brand um, you know, it, the availability of that is, is huge. And, you know, the, the, the stage of March Madness and, you know, the buy-in across America from, you know, crazy college sports fans is there. And I think you've seen a lot of brands go out there and start these national campaigns. Um, you know, like Shannon mentioned, there's going to be more of those year after year that go in and, you know, select, you know, 10 highly marketable athletes within a sport or, you know, within a group of sports to go and, um, you know, take on and endorse their brands. Cause there's, big ROI in that when it's an elite athlete with a, with a, you know, large following that a lot of fans across America know. And, um, I mean, I think you'll see a lot of companies buy into the NIL space throughout the NCAA tournament. Um, we've seen a few of them, you know, start out with, with 10 or 15 athletes from, from the, the uh, male and female side. And I think you'll see that throughout the tournament, but you know, with, with the, with the TV deals, every game being nationally televised, um, you know, and, and you know, just the audience that buys into it. Um, you know, I think it's a, it's a massive opportunity for athletes, but also brands to get into the space. Shannon, I'm fascinated by that aspect. Final thing, because if, you know, go to an arena for the tournament, mm-hmm. there are drapes hanging over any sponsorship in there. Yep. You know, and with the NIL space and what players could do, that's, I'm, I'm intrigued where it goes. How much do you actually talk hoops compared to football well, in, the, in your meetings? The, a lot, but here's the problem. Let's start naming college uh, basketball players. You know, you go first. Where where do we get in this room where we can't name another one? You know, the right. the, the problem, you know, the the problem is that the marquee names. There's just not that many of them. You know, and, well, and so, a lot of them are first year players. Yeah, <laughs> right? the marquee right. names are your lottery picks that are freshmen. 
So they don't have a lot they, of time to establish a brand with a certain program. But yeah. either way. in this space, though, it allows Oscar Shibway to go back to Kentucky. That's what's beautiful about draft. it. And then you follow him because you learned about him in you, the tournament. Do you think that was a brand deal, or do you think that was a roster value deal tied to, to, to a collective of the school, though? I don't think Nissan was sitting there uh, It had saying, something to do with where they played their preseason tournament, right? Or wherever they went? Well, I think, it, to your point, it's, yes. a, it's a collective deal. It's a collective deal, is my back. point. Yeah. That, that's where... That is where – that's really the most interesting part of NIL today because the whole brand side is going to take time to develop. You ask about the tournament. Yeah. I think, the, I think there's going to be a learning exercise with this tournament because so many – I think there may be one or two players from this tournament that has some, some like Olympics-type teeth where they can carry you know, some brands forward for a few months after the tournament. But the reality is brands would have to be front-loaded – to participate with the athletes during the tournament as all this hype is happening to actually maximize an ROI. So I think you're, I think a lot of brands, a lot of CMOs, a lot of people in space are going to look at this year, look at the athletes to prepare themselves to deploy next year on not the collective side. I have not heard, and Grant may know a lot, he knows a lot more of the deals than I do. I have not heard of a lot of deals that are preemptively loaded for the tournament that's going to tag with from a national brand perspective. I haven't Absolutely. heard of many. And Chad, you mentioned it too. A lot of your marquee basketball players, 18, 19 years old, one and done, lottery pick freshmen. Yep. If you talk to a lot of CMOs out there that have wanted to get into the space that may have represented a slew of professional players, the vetting and maturity level that they want their brand attached to with a player. Yeah, that's a is, great point. I mean, that, that's a huge deal. Um, and, and you see that a lot more with football just because you have a more mature player you know, that's been around the block a time or two that's gone through it. In basketball, your marquee players are young, and you know, there's that immaturity risk that they don't want to associate with their brand. That's a great point. On3 is the best of college sports and recruiting. On3.com is where you can check out the work of Grant Furking and CEO Shannon Terry. Always great to have you guys in. Welcome great. anytime. Thank you, guys. Grab a picture after this. I love that hat mixed with the hoodie. Next to each yeah. other, good contrast that's of the logos. We're just we're just the little guys. I don't know. know. I don't know if they planned that or it not. It was not planned. Good, good contrast. Shannon, you're never allowed to say that. Okay, <laughs> we are the Ever. little guys yeah. for Ever. sure. Uh, we'll wrap up the show coming up. Shannon's going to buy this distillery <laughs> once we walk out here next. <laughs> he, that's, he's that's already what's coming it. next. Yep. Uh, this is the Outkick Network. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Chad, tonight, Nevada and Arizona State, the 11 seeds, um, True TV. The, the Google searches for True TV in March, hilarious. The what? spike in searches You just had year. light come on you for the first time. That's, uh, that's new. This is like the old. I get old yeah. vibes in the studio right now we with have, that light uh, that would come across us during yeah. the day. And they knocked that off. Didn't know that was still possible. Crazy. We are officially you look, reached an, the, you look angelic, but it's just crazy to see. Officially reached that. the extra hour of of daylight. Yeah. 
That's amazing. A, official. We're back. Um, Jalen Carter was back uh, in front of scouts and teams today. Mark Slabaugh reports, though, he shows up to the pro day for Georgia nine pounds heavier than what he weighed in at the Combine in Indy, and that he could not finish position drills due to breathing heavily and cramping up. Declined to run a 40. Not good. Not a great look when you can't finish your pro day. And to go with, you know, everything else going on right. with Jalen Carter, not, yeah. not terrific. So if there was any discussion style. about, you know, Will Anderson, Jalen Carter. That discussion should be over. I, I, I I've, so. I've seen enough now to know today. enough that that, dis, that discussion should be over. Juju Smith-Schuster signing with the Patriots. Uh, they're making that official. It is a three-year contract, $33 million. It's identical to what Jacoby Myers received in Las Vegas but they tacked on New England did an extra million dollars in guaranteed money to uh, to Juju. So he's not going back to Kansas City. The pool of wide receivers is interesting because you got got a lot of guys who are good, not great, and it's a watered down market right now. So that's a good deal for him and for Jacoby Myers to get it done while we wait on guys like McCole Hardiman and others to determine where they're going to end up or end back with. Uh, the other report was that all these receivers are calling up Patrick Mahomes, asking for him to lobby to get them in KC. I would too. Just when you thought the Jets were going to be the story of the AFC East, the Patriots fight back with that Juju Smith-Schuster deal. Chad, the Jets will be the story every day as long as Aaron Rodgers wants them to be. Every day. I mean... Time to just pay Green Bay what, what they're offering. It's it, just, it. let's get this thing moving, <laughs> Packers. I know I've played for you for years, but come on. I'm ready to go, and you're holding us up. Back at it tomorrow, starting at 3 p.m. Eastern. Now kick 360.